0: Good evening, everybody. You are live with me. My name is Patrick Hayes, and tonight is uh, Friday, February 7th, and it's 8 p.m. Rocky Mountain Time, and you are on the Bible Thumper uh, podcast Facebook page. (coughs) Excuse me. So for any of you who might be new, we do a live video podcast every week at 8 p.m. Rocky Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central. And tonight, Caleb Jenks and I are going to be talking about our favorite story in the Bible. Now, Caleb is not here right now. I'm waiting for him to sign on, but he told me to just go ahead and jump in and get going at 8 o'clock no matter what. I was having a real hard time, uh, sharing this event on Facebook. I'm going to try to do that again as I'm talking. And my only fear is that for some reason, whenever I start up Facebook on my, computer everything just lags and it's slow and it's sluggish and I don't know if anyone else has that experience or there's just a certain type of demon that needs to be exercised from my computer yeah as a matter of fact as soon as I went to open up my Facebook page it immediately showed me that my internet speed just dropped by like half so I don't know what's going on with that but anyway that's where we're at so I'm going to leave that alone So with that, uh, we're going to jump into our favorite Bible story. So I'm just going to tell you mine and when Caleb gets on here he can tell you his and uh, hopefully ask some questions and have some great insights. So I'm going to tell you this from memory. I'm not going to read you the whole story out of the Bible but for those of you that want a reference it is 2 Kings chapter 22 and the story is about King Josiah. So A little bit of background on King Josiah and the nation of Israel as a whole. At this point in time, so King Josiah is, you could argue, either the last generation or the second to last generation prior to Babylon coming in and laying siege to Jerusalem and taking the southern kingdom of Israel, which we called the kingdom of Judah, captive and taking them off to Babylon. And that would have included Daniel and what led to uh, Daniel going to Babylon and the book of Daniel and him being a prophet. And then it also would have to do with the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was another guy that was in uh, the southern kingdom that was taken captive to Babylon. And then later Jeremiah. Now, what happened, just to kind of get everyone up to speed, when, oh, Okay, Caleb's on, so he's going to count in here in a second. And uh, okay, Caleb, I just started the story of King Josiah. You want me to just keep going with it, or do you want to jump in and yep. tell? something? no, us you're anything? good. Okay, you're good. So after King unless, David, what? Go ahead. What do you got? Oh, unless you, be, unless you need a
1: minute, to, unless you oh, need no. a minute for any technical difficulties, your screen no. resolution may still be a bit low, but you might check that out.
0: I'll take a quick click on that and see I what happens. I think I got it.
1: I think I successfully shared it on my page, so hopefully it's working.
0: No, it says I'm at 720, so let's okay. hope that it's just what I look like in your screen. Okay, sorry, right, okay. so back back to the story. So we have King David, who we know was the greatest king in the nation of Israel, and then after that, you have King Solomon, and then after that, his son, Rehoboam, had the kingdom split into two, and there was another gentleman jeroboam and the two became kings and they split the kingdom in half and jeroboam was up north and rehoboam was in charge of the southern kingdom now in the southern kingdom was the city of jerusalem and then what ends up happening is because jeroboam does not want all the people in his northern kingdom to go down to the south to uh, worship the Lord God and to do the seven feasts outlined in Leviticus chapter 21, which would be Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Yom Kippur, Feast of First Fruits, all those things. Because he didn't want them to all do that, he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up our own fake gods and you guys can all worship them. So the Northern Kingdom immediately turned into just horrible, wicked, pagan practices, worshiping false gods and idols. And it was mayhem. I mean, just absolute mayhem, to the point where several times in the Bible, God said that the behavior... Do you have a whale trying to get on with us over there or or doing a mating call? Okay, so I apologize for that. That's okay. So, uh, God actually said that the pagan nations around them were shocked at their behavior. That's how awful and wicked the northern kingdom of Israel was. With that being said, the southern kingdom wasn't a whole lot better, but the southern kingdom did have a couple of good kings, and one of those kings was King Josiah. And I now, like I said. After many generations of terrible kings, and the two kingdoms were split in two, and the nation of Israel is just, I mean, they are not doing anything God wants. It's just terrible. King Josiah, at eight years old, becomes king of the southern kingdom, which was called uh, Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the way it reads in this story is that no one had read the Bible or knew anything of the law of Moses for generations. I mean, it was just totally forgotten about. And what they ended up doing was they ended up renovating the temple and fixing up things that needed repaired. And as they were going through some portion of the temple in Jerusalem, the scribe who I believe his name was Shaphan, the scribe found a book of the law and read it and he was just blown away by it so he brings it to the king and he reads him the entire book of the law which we would call the pentateuch or the first five books of the bible or the books of moses um whether there is more contained in it or not i'm not sure but it had the law of the lord so you got to understand in the first five books of moses is where god gives the israelites all of their rules so Josiah reads this book and he is just blown away at how far off the nation of Israel was from following the commandments of God. So he has what I believe is the greatest revival written down in the Bible. He literally goes through the countryside. He reads the, he gets the entire country together. The Southern kingdom of Judah reads them the entire Bible and says, we are in trouble. God is going to punish us. We are, you know, I mean, we have to fix things or else it's going to be bad. He starts going through the entire Southern kingdom He finds every pagan altar that he can, he tears it down, he takes the idols, he smashes them to pieces, grinds them to dust, lights them on fire, throws the ashes in the river. I mean, really, really does a number. He gets all the pagans here, but can you imagine if somebody did that nowadays? I'll tell you what, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Nowadays, if someone even says something that is slightly offensive, I mean, and we're talking read it right out of the Bible. People just fall down and have a heart attack. This guy found everyone that was worshiping pagan idols killed them and cut them up into pieces and threw their bones on the pagan altars to desecrate them so they couldn't be used anymore. I mean, it was out. So not only that. He even goes up into the northern kingdom and starts doing the same thing, finding every pagan priest and just cutting them to pieces, uh, killing them, burning their bodies, scattering the ashes into the river. I mean, and he does this across the entire country. And one of my favorite parts about 2 Kings chapter 22 is it says that then Josiah held the Passover, And it not only says that he held the Passover, it says that it was the greatest Passover that the world had ever seen. There would never be a Passover held like the one in 2 Kings 22. Because what I believe is that the entire nation of Israel recognized their sin, turned back to God, and God even said to Josiah, you are supposed to be taken captive Babylon was supposed to come, lay siege to you, take you away. And he says, because of how you turned back to me with your whole heart, I am not going to have Babylon do that. I am going to wait and, uh, you, and Israel will not be taken away captive until after you die. Anyway, I skipped a bunch of details because I'm just telling you this from memory, but it was just so exciting. And the reason I find it so exciting is because in today's age of lukewarm American nonsensical pathetic Christianity you almost never see this where people say holy cow I can't believe this I read the Bible it says we're doing this wrong I'm getting rid of it and they just start throwing stuff out. They just start lighting stuff on fire. I mean, and Josiah, keep in mind, Josiah was the king and it was his job to have the whole country turn to God with him. So he had the legal right to go around and kill the pagans. As a matter of fact, that's commanded, you know, in the Old Testament, but you know, I'm not saying we're going to do that, but just in the individual Christian's life, how often, Caleb, have you ever run into a friend who just got saved or maybe someone that was saved but wasn't really lit on fire for God and then all of a sudden he just had a a come to Jesus moment and turned like King Josiah did did you ever see anyone you know have you met anyone in your life where you read the story of King Josiah and it made you think of that person
1: not firsthand, no. I've, um, I've heard stories of back in the day when there was revival and first-generation Christians where they really had a radical—most uh, of, fr- of my friends are second, third-generation Christians. You're actually one of, the first, one of the few that's actually a first-generation Christian. That's probably why you're one of my more radical friends.
0: Quite possibly. I've heard that, um, said before that the second generation has trouble having the same fire as the first generation does. And, and, you know, that makes sense because when you read through the Bible, you know, who one of the most wicked Kings in the entire Bible was, it was King Josiah's grandfather. Right. You know, so he turned from, uh, a guy that was so wicked and so pagan that God was so angry at, and to see Josiah turn all the way around to be a king that God actually prophesied. When Rehoboam and Jeroboam, when the kingdom first split into two, you see that God sent a prophet to Jeroboam in the northern kingdom. And what's funny is, I don't even think it gives that prophet a name, it just says a prophet of God. So we don't even know who it was. He certainly doesn't have a book dedicated to him in the Bible. But he said, there's coming a day where a king will be raised up and his name will be Josiah. And it says that he will heap up dead men's bones upon this altar that you raised up to pagan gods. As soon as Jeroboam raised up the altar to worship pagan gods, God sent a prophet and said on this altar will be the bones of the priests that worship the pagan gods that you're trying to turn the nation of Israel towards. And then it happened. It was, you know... It was pretty neat
1: yeah that, that's honestly uh i sometimes I, I look at it and it's like man if if we were able to have that kind of radical uh, radical action in Christianity now i'm not advocating for it, but I think that uh, I don't know it sometimes it's sometimes it's a bit tempting if i was if I was God and I was going to hire a hitman, I think you'd be toward the top of the list
0: <laughs> well. You know what's crazy is one of my other favorite stories that's not in the Bible happened during the silent years between Malachi and Matthew. And you know what's funny is we always call them the silent years, but they're not silent. They are actually predicted ahead of time. And it's talked about, I think it's in the book of Isaiah, where it actually maps out what's going to happen during that time. But if you ever have a chance, get yourself an apocrypha it's it's not part of the bible it's a historical book that's extra biblical but read about the maccabean revolt read the f- I would books say before, of first and second Maccabees. Before, before
1: you do that make sure that you're converted christian <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah and so i got a bible you,
1: <laughs> i got a bible from the goodwill at one point that had the apocrypha in there and i understand why they i understood why they left it out there's a lot yeah. of really good history but there's i understand why i don't know that all of it was inspired by god
0: no there are there are parts of the Apocrypha that are like ridiculous and like completely the opposite of what the Bible says. Do not think that I am saying to read that book and believe it. I am simply saying, read the books of First and Second Maccabeus, which is this the historical account of the Jewish rebellion against the Romans and uh, what happened uh, and how they took back Jerusalem. And where Hanukkah came from, that's all part of the story. But the great thing is, um, and actually I might be wrong, that might have been, was it the Greeks at that time or was it the Romans? I thought it, it was the Romans, wasn't it? it was, I'm pretty sure it was the Romans. Yeah, I thought was it, Romans. Was the, it was at the I'm very sure. end. I, know, I don't the have to check on this. Yeah, I don't have but, my uh, apocrypha with me. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing.
1: So we've actually, for the last few years, kind of funny because this is really off topic. Um, but I have this little pet peeve of mine about Christians observing Christian holidays that come from pagan origins, like Christmas and Easter, and some of those things. <gasps> not that I think they're not that I think that they're terrible in and of themselves, or that you can't be a, a Christian and and celebrate something that had pagan origins. Because if that was the case. Me drinking out of this this cup of coffee right here has probably got some sort of pagan origin, I suppose.
0: If you want, anyways, I can look up the specific pagan deity associated uh, with styrofoam. So
1: anyways, I mean, if we, if we want to find the devil, we can find him in the, in the details wherever we look. But the interesting thing about it is I started um, one of the things that actually gave me peace about about um, observing Christmas is the fact that Jesus observed Hanukkah, which is not a biblically required um, holiday. But it is it was one of the most prophesied about events in the Old Testament was the events that unfolded with the Maccabean brothers. So it's understandable that the Jewish people observed it and celebrated it, and it's also understandable that Jesus did. And it, it makes me a little more comfortable with celebrating Jesus's birth because it's kind of a natural thing for Jesus for Christians to do. Hmm. So anyway, that might be my, uh, my it might might be my watered down, my watered down uh, theology on that. But
0: anyways, no. So well, that's anyway, good. That's good... I mean, if you want to turn this conversation to Christmas and Easter, you know, you have an <laughs> sure, audience. It's, with yeah, me.
1: It's, it's, it's <laughs> the wrong time of the year. I don't think I don't think it's going to go viral if we talk about Christmas in the middle of February. So anyways, <laughs> I have actually I was originally planning on. Um, well, I don't know if there's anything any more follow up.
0: I don't want to cut you off on that story. No, 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 uh, not at all. Honestly, honestly, I'd be searching at this point. Uh, what story were are you thinking of, Sharon, as far as your favorite? Well, so
1: one of my favorite stories is the, is the story of David and Saul. And I was going to try to make that story somewhat creative. And I decided maybe early on in this Bible Thumper po- podcast, I should probably stick strictly to the text rather than trying to be, cre- be creative or poetic with something. Um, I was going to try to sort of retell the story in a modern day sense. And I, I, I may do that at some point because it would be kind of fun just to see what it would have been like to be David and um, doing what he was doing. But I decided probably another one of my, another story, which is you're going to be, a, of course you pick this story, uh, Noah and, and the Flood. Of course, everybody heard about this in Sunday school. It's an easy story for me to talk about. The, the reason I would like to talk about it is because I thought it went, it kind of ties in good with some of what we talked about last week about can I trust my Bible? And um, so this is a very radical example of some guy very similar to the story you just told about Josiah about a guy who um, took control of actually carrying out God's plan and it affected the rest of humanity because of his obedience to God. And he was a crazy. If he'd have been a modern day, if, if, if Noah lived in Denver, Colorado, and he started building an ark, or let's say in the middle of Kansas, and he started building an ark, headlines i would love to see the headlines on cnn and msnbc
0: (laughs) okay i gotta ask you a question i gotta ask you a question have you seen the movie bruce almighty starring steve carell okay it is a story of a junior congressman who goes to washington dc and god calls him to build an ark that's funny anyway it's hysterical that's okay keep going so
1: keep in mind for future podcast references or um any movie references are gonna go right over my head. I've watched about a dozen movies in my life. So I'm I don't get I don't get much of my uh not knowledge for movies. I I probably should yeah. watch it some more. There's Direct some really good all ones out pop there.
0: culture references to Patrick. All pop culture references to Patrick. Anything to do with banjos, you know, or moonshine, go ahead and send that right on over to Caleb.
1: Anyways, all right, so back to the, the Bible story here. So if you look in, in Genesis, what is this? Genesis uh, chapter six, and I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but it's really interesting that God looked down. It almost is it God woke up one morning and he was like, what on earth did I do? These guys down here have really screwed this up. And the earth is full of violence. Uh, It says God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So it's kind of interesting because I don't think this came as a surprise to God, but mm-hmm. um this it, it it's almost like he probably knew this was coming as soon as He created us and He gave us a free will, and He created us in his his image, where we have that that attribute or that part of Him, where we have the 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 ability to go and mess things up i I would have to imagine that God had to have thought this through ahead of time and realize this is the logical conclusion if they walk in disobedience to me. Everything's going to go bad, and it's going to be it's going to be so bad that I'll it'll uh, I'll wish I'd never created them, and I'm going to just wipe them out. So God said to Noah, "The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with destroy them with the earth. Make an ark, and he goes into the, all the details of of making the ark, and then obviously Noah actually follows through with this thing, and um, that is probably historically to this day, I would I would say. I was trying to think if there's more remarkable archaeological feats, um, given the amount of help that he had and the technology that they had. And that has got to be, it would have, it seems like it would have just been a marvel in its day, watching that art go up. That would have been like, kind of like a modern day Dubai or something like that, where people get on, on YouTube. Oh, they didn't have YouTube then, but it would have been, it would have been, I'm sure he made some headlines.
0: And okay, let me, people, let me ask you this. Another quick ahead. question. Have you seen uh the arc in Kentucky that Ken Ham has made? And uh, with his answers in Genesis, have you seen that?
1: I, yes, I've been there. And it's definitely an experience you should definitely go to. I wish I had an affiliate link where I could tell you guys click on the link below, get your tickets and I'll get $10. I don't, so
0: <laughs> Maybe if you, you get a chance go. It, it, we can leave a link in the comments if someone wants to try to find it. I have yeah. not been there, but I heard it's massive.
1: If you go if if you go and there's a huge crowd there tomorrow because you saw it on Bible Thumper, just make sure you drop our name so that Ken Ham knows you heard about it on Bible Thumper.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the check is already in the mail, Caleb. Don't worry. Right.
1: <laughs> so anyways, I could have imagined following through with it when he's like, all right, we're going to make a big boat. But then when he said you were going to take two of every animal, um, I mean, surely somewhere along the line. I find it really remarkable that it doesn't seem like Noah was quite like uh, Abraham and Sarah, where he laughed and he's like, no, this isn't possible. He's just like, all right, God, I'm here, whatever you want me to do, which makes more sense as far as why it wasn't God bothered to go and talk to Noah. He must have known something about the fact that Noah was actually a righteous man, he was willing to obey God. And so I I find this really interesting in our day and age now where we're so skeptical, we're so, uh, well, the uh, postmodern postmodernism is that even if even if we knew it was true and we we had proof that it was true, we would still reject it um, just off the grounds the fact that we that everything has to be relative and there's no no actual basis for truth or morality. But Noah, had, there had never been rain, there had never been a flood, there had never been anything like this. I don't think Noah would have even, even the- known where to start with gathering the animals, and he seems like he just goes forward with it and i'm trying to find it here if we go into genesis where where it would be chapter seven let me see if i can find it um
0: how long did it, i should know this how long did it take him to make the so it took him one calendar year um no i'm sorry it took him a 100 calendar years to build the ark and it took one year on the ark. So from the time God shut up the door to the time that they came to rest and got off, they were on the ark for a whole year. It rained for right. 40 days and 40 nights, but they were on the ark for a calendar year. Okay. So as I, I was
1: pretty sure it was a hundred years, but I wanted to double check that because I hate quoting stuff wrong. So that is, yeah, it was 150 days that the, that the water prevailed upon the
0: earth. I guess If you add it all rainy. up, yeah. You, you have, if you add up all the dates, you'll come up with a calendar year. I promise okay. you. If there's, there's probably only one book I know in the entire Bible and it's the book of Genesis. Other than right. that, I'm pretty much just making it up all the time. Okay. All right.
1: I'll trust you on this one. I'll see, I'll check it later. Cause it says that the waters prevailed or increased greatly upon the earth for 40 days. Where was Where is it? Anyways, at least 150 days, probably a whole year. Whatever it was, it was a long time. Yeah, I'll I'll trust you, but I'm going to still check you. All right, this is the Berean challenge here. All right, do it. I'm going to check you against God's word. So anyways, regardless of how long it was, it was a long time. It was 100 years and he was building this thing. I would have stopped a year or two into it and taken a break and been like, are we really sure this is worth it? And there's no record. Maybe he he kept going back to God and, and questioning him. But can you imagine getting a word from God early on in your life and then carrying it out for 100 years, obedience to God, walking in that, doing something never has been done, and it's 100% based, based on faith. And so I just think that Noah is, if I was to pick out one guy that really had a lot of faith, Noah had a lot of faith. Abraham had a lot of faith. He took Isaac up the hill. That took him a couple of days, and that was over with. That was a big deal. But Noah, okay. this is a long, long
0: time, and he stuck with it. Go ahead. Can I jump in here? Okay, yeah. just to give you an idea, Uh, God spoke 392 words to Noah from Genesis 6, 13 to chapter 7, verse 4. So from when God started with Noah till Noah got in the boat, God spoke less than 400 words to him. Now that doesn't mean he didn't speak to him other times, but the Bible only says that he gave him less than 400 words. And like you were saying, Caleb, he was faithful for a hundred years and he was faithful, doing something that the whole world would have thought to be crazy, and and you didn't even bring up what his kids thought, right? Because remember, he, God didn't speak to all of his boys, but they trusted their dad and were good, obedient children to the point where they went along with it for a hundred years. Yeah, and, I doubt that he held him
1: at gunpoint for a hundred years somewhere along the line. Of I'm, like,
0: can't imagine we'll he was. <laughs> He was 500 years old when they started building the boat. I think they could have taken their old man if, he, if they really wanted to.
1: All right. So before I go on with this any further, I thought I'd mention here, um, we're about to the 30-minute mark, uh, coming up here in three minutes. And our goal with these podcasts is to, um, well, I don't know what our goal is for sure, other than get on here and talk about the Bible. But we would like it if whoever wants to chime in on these things, if you have thoughts, it could be related to this. It could be related to anything else. I actually have a couple of questions that have been sent in from previous episodes that I thought I would um, bring up tonight and address. But anybody that wants to get on here, if you have something that you'd like to throw in, if it's related or unrelated to this or a favorite Bible story, that's kind of the theme tonight. um, Hop on. There is a link in the comments. I went ahead and posted a link. I think I got it in there right. It should be the first comment. If you look in the comments on this video, if you click on that. Uh, if you're on a computer or a smartphone, you should be able to get on and it'll, you'll pop up into the staging area. Patrick can add you into the video and you can give us your thoughts. And I'm really hoping we get some interaction on some of these going forward. So you you don't have to be. Go Go
0: Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, something else I should add starting next week, we're actually going to have a phone number that you can call. You won't be on the video here, but you can call in and your voice will be on the podcast with us. So if you have a question or you just want to call us names and yell at us, like kind of what happened to me in the last live video I did a couple hours ago, you're more than welcome to do that. And you'll have an audience. Yeah. So if you're shy and you don't want your face on people.
1: (laughs) If you're shy and you don't want your face on here, wait till next year, we'll have an audio only option
0: for you. Next, next uh, week, next week, not next year, we're say? not that slow. You said next year. I, I know we <laughs> drag ourselves along with improving this thing. Well, Caleb, now, okay, I need to tell everyone that's listening. You told me you had a surprise and we've been on here for 30 minutes and you have not brought up the surprise and I am biting my nails to hear what this great surprise is for me and the audience. So can you get along well, with
1: it? Yeah, so we are going to be announcing our, our uh, domain name for our official Bible Thumper project here. And well, oh, first the uh, website. Yeah, the website. So first of Caleb all... Caleb
0: was in charge.
1: Yeah, well, so I get to win this argument since Patrick won the argument on the name for the podcast. He wanted to go with Bible Thumper, <laughs> and I thought he was out of his mind. But I think God doesn't have a problem with that because he likes crazy people like Patrick and Noah. So anyways, Mm -hmm. so tell us a bit about why you want to go with Bible Thumper. Well, I haven't seen you you thump your Bible on here yet, so I keep waiting for you to start thumping
0: your Bible. I'm waiting till I have someone in the studio with me so I can actually, you know, thump them with it. You're down in Texas. I can't really get it to you. So, okay. So the name, when we were coming up with names, I simply wanted a name that people would initially kind of chuckle at. I wanted something that was kind of funny. And I also wanted a name that is typically thought of in a negative light, but a lot of Christians would be able to laugh at it. Like Bible thumper usually means those crazy guys that, you know, I don't know, are carrying around a big you know, leather Bible in, in their back pocket. And they're just first dying. first person in. I think of is Patrick. Anyway. <laughs> you can tell that story as soon as I'm done with, with the name. Cause I forgot that story. Okay. So people usually think of someone that's really zealous and like over the top with the Bible. But what I was telling Caleb was, even though that's the thought that comes to people, guess what? At least they know their Bible. I mean at least we can say that crazy Bible thumper is a Christian that knows what the book says. I mean you got to give him some credit. So I thought the name was funny. I've also been called that before negatively, so I just figured that would be a good name. So far everyone chuckles when they hear the name Bible thumper. Right. Yeah, so whenever okay, I present
1: Patrick, he's like I said he's the closest thing to a radical first generation Christian that I know other than a few of my parents' friends and stuff that I heard about that were first-generation Christians that did some radical, possibly irrational things that I've heard about over the second-hand stories. Uh, But Patrick, when I met him, he was a recent, uh, recently saved Christian that had been an atheist, I guess, or Mm -hmm. some sort of a non-Christian of some stripe. Um, And so he was pretty excited about this, and he carried his Bible around in the back of his jeans. It, it cracked me up because it wasn't like, it wasn't like you can get these little compact new test Psalms, new Proverbs, new Testament. Uh, he didn't opt for one of those, Patrick. He, I think he got, he went and got one of these like family Bible, like coffee table version <laughs> type things and, had to upsize his pants to like the three sizes larger. So he could tuck this thing in his belt. No, anyway, it was, it was a normal size Bible, but it was, it looked pretty big stuck in the back of his pants. So, um, Bible is going to be live as our domain name. That's going to be a big di- disappointment to Patrick. Ooh. We have another one that is coming up, but there's a technical difficulty with actually registering the domain name that I registered and actually having it accessible um, in the U S. So there's um, we're going to have to, I'm actually going to have to save that surprise for next week because I have it and it's not accessible,
0: oh. um,
1: but I think you guys will get a kick out of it. I'm disappointed. And it's a little. It's a little longer than Biblethumper.us. There'll also be Biblethumperusa.com and a couple of different places that'll all point to the same spot. Anyways, um, so that was the big surprise, big letdown. Do we have any? Do we have any live? Anybody in the uh, staging area? Nope. No. No one's jumping in. Everyone's Soccer. bashful.
0: Yeah, that's okay. It's,
1: it's late. So a couple of a couple of questions that we had gotten, and these are from. Previous episodes here. Let me see if I can find it.
0: Give so we question. had
1: we had one of our first ones. Well, it's kind of a long Give question. A this, is supposed to, this is supposed to remain
0: anonymous. Oh. And where did just I just use their first name and the first letter of their last name?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, where is this here? See if we can
1: pull it up As here. I said before. Oh, go ahead. You're people ready. Like dead, people like dead space. Yes, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if I had a Crickets sound track, I'd be playing it right now. This would be the place that it would be inserted. And next week, along with being able to take your phone calls, we're actually going to have sound effects as well. So I'll make sure they're all sound effects of someone losing on a popular game show. So Caleb misses the pop culture reference every time, but the rest of us have a good laugh. So most of them will be uh, the Price is Right, sound effects, things like that.
1: So not sure where it is here. I actually just went back into my conversation. I don't know if somehow I deleted or he deleted the comment. Um, His his question was this, and I'm going to paraphrase because it's been a couple weeks since I read the question. He is a Christian... A born-again believer, and he's single, and he wants to remain anonymous. He said, and I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to drop your name here, but I'm sorry if I misquote you, <laughs> but you said um, basically that you have all your life sort of idolized people that were single, and that you don't really have any interest in getting married, and I think there was a few more details, but you were maybe wondering if there's something wrong with this. And so I thought that was a really interesting question. So I guess if I was to, if I was to pose that question to you, Patrick, what would you have in response to that?
0: Well, the first thing that jumped out at me was, you know, in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis, you find out where God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So I don't know why I would want to ask, well, what is it about a single person's life that you know is so alluring because let me tell you there is nothing i want less in my life than being single okay i would not trade in being married to my wife for all the tea in china or any other <laughs> racial epitaph that i can think of okay but god said we can we not- can believe we can just believe that <laughs> out later edit, we'll, we'll edit that once we get famous uh <clears throat> So if God said it is not good that man should be alone, then really what I'm saying is, well, I know better than God, or I want something that God is against. God's saying it's bad to be single. It's good to be married. So really, I would say that's all I need. As Keep in mind, the thing you got to remember is too many times in Christianity, people try to figure out what's permissible rather than what God would rather see God doesn't have to command something for you to do it Caleb and I do a lot of things that God doesn't command us to do but God talks about how good it is and therefore we say well that's what I want to do and my life is blessed every time I take that route I never want to be the Christian that just tries to find out what's permissible and then do that oh well you don't have to do that so I'm not gonna That's a, I think that's a bad way to live. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. The converse of that statement is that it is good for man to be married. So I, you know, that that's really all it takes for me. Tell me what you're thinking.
1: Well, so yeah, obviously it's not a requirement. It seems like my, if you look at nature, as Paul says, sometimes he relates to nature and it seems like, that's it's, God created it this way. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. He created us to be, to have companionship. We were actually created for companionship with God. And, um, since God isn't always present physically, I think that he found naturally that it was good for us to have companionship together here. So it seems like it's a natural, it seems like it's a given that marriage is something that should be aspired to, but it's not a requirement. The only thing that I can find in scripture that, it, uh, is that is unscriptural is to is to have a requirement against marriage and i think we've seen an experiment with that in the catholic church that hasn't worked out well so i can understand why it says that (laughs) the doctrines that forbid marriage are doctrines of the devil and i I could see that, that that is a reason why prohibiting something somebody from doing what god has ordained or created them for could be a dangerous thing now that being said Prohibiting yourself from doing it um, could possibly be a risk that you would take. Um, I think I can say this, hopefully respectfully, since that, since this is an anonymous request uh, or anonymous anonymous question. But I, I happen to know that this same guy has also had prayer requests at times in the past for um, struggles with moral purity, and so obviously he has a desire for. That relationship that God is, has designed. And when you're fighting that fight to try to stay pure and not to to give way to lust, possibly it may not be a great idea to aspire to stay single your whole life because you're living an experiment that may not be working out so well.
0: Well, what does Paul say? Paul says it's better to marry than to burn your lust. To burn. Okay. I I mean, again, that, you know, not that we need to get off on, you know, the subject of male and female companionship, but I hate to say it, it's all over the Bible. And Paul talks about it a whole lot. He says very specifically that men lust after women and women lust after men. That's exactly what it says. And guess what? God made us that way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, if you're somebody that does it, if you don't lust after, if you don't lust after somebody, then maybe it's not a bad idea. <laughs> if you've never sure. had that struggle, maybe it's yeah. a good idea to focus on your relationship with God and he's your best companion and and more power to you. Now, that being said, that's a logical argument that, or a case is being made kind of weighing up the pros and cons and saying maybe it's not a great idea to do this. But one of the things that I think people are looking at is what is marriage? And I missed the last podcast that we had on this. and I wish I could have jumped in. But one of the points that I would make with this is if you look at all the things that marriage is according to Bi- according to the Bible, and you look at all the things that marriage is not, I think the e- the easier way for us to pin down what marriage is is by going through a list of what marriage is not. And if you look around at at, at the pros and cons, and you're weighing out the the uh, the marriages that you look at around you, and the way that statistically the benefits of marriage are in our culture. The, you're going to have, I think it's, it's a flawed experiment because we have pushed, we've marginalized God's plan and marriage is simply for convenience or for pleasure or because it's a social construct that is still valid in our, our culture. For but marriage purposes. is not, yeah, for tax purposes. Marriage, the way that God designed marriage doesn't, ha- it has very little to do with going around spending 10 or 15 years or five or 10 years messing around with multiple different partners trying to figure out who's the best person for you. It has to do with realizing that, that this is designed by God and wanting to have a marriage. You shouldn't have to sleep with 200 people or 20 people or five people to figure out who's the best person. And so okay, once-
0: me, I was gonna ask you, okay, what does Jesus compare marriage to? Well, it's compa- it's, comp- you know, the, the first thing that I'm thinking of is the comparison of, of Christ and the church. Absolutely, and everything you're talking about shows or is uh, is similar to that relationship. The idea <clears throat> that once you are saved, we are you and I, Caleb, are literally the bride of Christ. And that is supposed to be something that is sacred, something that we're supposed to want, something that's supposed to be there forever, something that is, uh, we are able to lean on that relationship During every hard time, we have someone to go to who we know loves us and wants the best for us and has answers and help for us anytime we need it.
1: Okay, now, I just have to throw one thing in there really quick, because there's people watching that come from the same background that I come from. So there is a difference between being the bride of Christ and being Christ. And some churches, or possibly cults, would actually teach that the church is Christ on the earth, not the bride of Christ. So you have to you have to keep in mind that not everybody understands this parallel that Jesus was was uh, drawing there between Christ and the church. If, how can you be the, the bride of Christ and him be the groom if the church is Christ? Anyways, that's an that's yeah. a whole other in, interesting theological.
0: Uh, I've never even problem. heard that one before. Yep. We can we oh, yeah. can can we just kick that and keep moving on down the road for now. Absolutely. So anyways, back to
1: the marriage, back to the marriage thing. If you're looking to look at the benefits of marriage, I would not look at the experiment as it's played out with humanity. Everything that every time that God designs something, the first thing that people do is they screw it up and they prove how badly they can do it. So God, God (laughs) puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he's like, all right, you've got a perfect world. Go and make the the most of it. And you can have communion with me and, and be my friend. And what's the first thing they do? They're like, "Oh, this isn't good enough. We're going to figure out how to improve on this." So we have a comment here: Jesus was single, so apparently he was at least okay with it, right? Well, yes, Jesus was single. All right. Yeah. He also walked on water.
0: I don't know if we can use that as prescriptive. That's that wasn't prescriptive. That was descriptive. Okay. Jesus also rose people from the dead. That doesn't mean he commanded us all to do it.
1: That's all, yeah. It's always good to realize because we were just because we were created in the image of God, we are not God and we will never be God. So, (laughs) some parallels between us and God, yeah. uh, We need to keep single
0: people from commenting. I'm just going to go ahead and block whoever (laughs) that was. Oh, that was was my sister, of
1: course. It's my sister.
0: No, (laughs) no, I think he is okay with people being
1: single, and Paul actually advocated for it as well and said that there's some liabilities. And, And I have seen some marriages that didn't work out so well that I think that they would have been better off to stay single. So, my point is this. God created marriage, and you, you look at the first thing that goes on in the Old Testament is they start experimenting with ways to screw up marriage. All right, mm-hmm. so they're going to try it. He created male and female. They decided to try every other combination they could come up with. Apparently, if you look in the in the book, the the, the, the uh,
0: book of the Leviticus, of Moses, go ahead, just land yeah, it.
1: Look at the look at the uh, the book of Leviticus. They were getting way too creative with what God had designed. All right, yeah. also. They creative designed... a
0: real soft term creative' that's, that's <laughs> yes. great. It, it, I'll spell it out if you want me to. Create and God,
1: God God was pretty patient with this, all right, I will say, because he designed in the garden there was one man and one woman. that's how he designed it. He apparently there was a little bit of room for polygamy because there was one of the first things they decided is, hey, this, is, this marriage thing is great. let Let's try three or four or eight or ten or hundreds or thousands. And that experiment never seemed to
0: go real well do you know why because with either. each one of those brides came a mother-in-law <laughs> we could go ahead and leave that out too <laughs> um
1: so anyways yeah so so you don't necessarily see marriage working out really well in the old testament you don't necessarily see marriage working out really well nowadays but just because marriage doesn't work out really well all right so back to the back to what i started to say if, you're, if you live in America right now, you're told that you should spend plenty of time, get your education, go to college and figure your life out and make sure you find the right person. You set up a dating profile and you're going to have a hundred questions that you fill out for, to categorize your spouse to be, or this person you're going to date based off of trying to find somebody that has as much in common with you, that fills as many of your needs as possible. That was never what marriage was about. It was never about finding somebody that was as as much like you as could be, or finding the perfect person. Um, if you look at actually in the Old Testament, even the the wedding ceremonies that we have nowadays. If you look at uh, was it Isaac and Rebecca? Yeah, mm-hmm. she she uh, got a, uh, she got lighted a camel. off her
0: camel, went into his mom's tent, and they right, consummated you finish, marriage. You don't have
1: to finish the story. There might be children watching. But anyways, consummation, whatever, whatever that word means. So apparently that was perfectly okay with God. It didn't say that they waited for the bouquets of flower and the wedding dress and that they, the marriage simply was one man and one woman being faithful to each other and, and making a commitment to live t- together for, for life. So now there's a lot of pressure on people to make sure they find the right person, to wait till you're the right age, to wait till all of your friends can be there to support you. And then there's a tremendous amount of pressure on you to try to have this culturally respectable marriage which may have very little to do with what God had designed in the first place. Um, like I said, they started experimenting in the Old Testament, trying to mess up God. I mean, that's the first thing that we have to do. I mean, we're curious human beings, so God designed something, we're like, well, what do, what'll, what'll it do if we, you know, if I go stick my finger in the light socket, what that's gonna do? You know, we're curious and we're immature. So, so they tried, and one thing you will see is God seemed to have patience as long as it was a male and a female. Now, when it came to homosexuality in the Old Testament, there seemed to be very little tolerance for that. That was an abomination. I don't know that. Um, I don't know why God tarried and allowed um, multiple wives, but it definitely didn't give a didn't paint a real beautiful picture of what marriage could be or should be. Now, I think the beautiful thing is is that Jesus came and he kind of sorted some of this stuff out with adultery and with. He said, you know, it, since the beginning it was one man and one woman, <laughs> and that it wasn't God didn't design us to divorce and remarry. So. A lot of marriages that we look at now are people that have had multiple previous marriages. They have children from from previous marriages, and you don't necessarily see that family structure being as God had designed it originally. And so there's going to be pain. So I guess my word, word to the wise here, to a young single person is, I used to sort of idolize being single as well when I was single. And I thought somehow that it was almost some sort of a moral accomplishment of, of my own to remain single and still not mess around, whatever. And I have to say, after being married, still no accomplishment. But after being married, when I am in a, a, a group setting, whether it's in church, or if I'm out driving Uber, or whatever, whatever interaction I'm having with other people, the fact that I have a wife, somehow makes me and maybe, I don't know if this is if other people feel this way, but it somehow makes me less of a threat or less of a menace on society because I'm not this single guy out on the prowess looking around to see who I might be able to have a date with tonight. There's some yeah. sort of a solidity that comes with just settling down with somebody
0: and making it work. Go ahead. You know, <clears throat> when you think about it, Caleb, the most dangerous thing for men in America today is heart disease. Okay. That's it. Right. That's the odds are, that's how you and I are going to die for women. One of the most dangerous things in America today are men. Right. Dating a man is like going out on a date with a bear and a lion and just thinking, well, I hope this goes okay. And that's unfortunate, but I'll tell you what, anytime I go to a customer's house and it's a single woman What I do every time I get my phone out and I'm showing her a picture of my wife and kids within two minutes of being in that house, and all of a sudden, I'm the world's greatest guy. Oh, this guy is nice. He's normal. Look at that. He's got a wife. He's got a bunch of kids. They're all smiling. And you know what you figure is, well, at least one person can put up with this guy. How bad could he be? You know, and it really does, you know, disarm people. Uh, I don't know how pertinent that is to anything. But I will tell you this, I've had a little bit of a different experience. Ever since I became a Christian, I wanted to be married and have kids. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be a family man. And that was always exciting for me. And I'll tell you what, the best thing in my life next to God, hands down, is my wife and my children. And it's been that way ever since I've gotten married. Even I hope, hard she, times I, I hope she's good watching
1: times?
0: now. Oh, I, she, if she's not, she's going to watch this when I play it back for her. She, you know, I need credit for oh, these look, things. Joanna Hayes
1: just joined. She's, <laughs> she's on. So, Joanna, brownie points for Patrick. He just
0: So, we no, actually but, have,
1: oh, we have a ahead, comment Stephen. here from, yeah. from Darren. He said, can you speak for a moment to the idea that many people think is helpful that living together is a good idea prior to marriage, other than God said to, which is a good reason. What is God's interest in a ceremony with a ring? All right, so a couple of questions there and a statement, I think. So very, very good point. All right, I don't think it's necessary to take somebody on a test drive, pick the tires, take a look under the hood before you can actually, before you know whether you're not can be, you can be compatible. God created us to be compatible. And I think that if, if you are a man and you are a woman and you want to make it work, there's gonna be some people that have more in common than others. There's gonna be some people that have less in common than others. But if you want to make it work, I don't actually, and some people would think that this is some sort of uh, heresy for me to say this, but I actually don't believe that it is one soulmate that was created by God and that if you miss that, that you messed up and nobody else will work out. I believe that if, specifically for Christians, if you believe in God, it's very helpful. And I would warn against um, marrying somebody, whether they claim to be a Christian or not, that actually isn't willing to give God the ultimate authority in their life. Because that solves a lot of uh, disagreements and sorting out the pecking order in the marriage. If you're both submitted to God and he's the basis for morality and right and wrong, then it makes it a lot easier. But aside from that, aside from both of you believing in God, I think that there is very little reason to go and do a trial run and live together and test it out to find out if you're going to be compatible. The only thing that makes you compatible is your devotion to make it work with each other through thick and thin.
0: Can I jump in here? Yeah you know along the along those lines the the way that society does it now is it actually has people stay single for as long as possible prior to getting married and i personally believe that that's not only on biblical it is one of the most ridiculous ideas and it makes being married that much tougher because if you stay single and you get married when you're you know 30 instead of 25 or 40 instead of 30 What you've essentially done is you've lived a single life for 20 years after you've left the home underneath your mother and father and what are you doing during that time you're getting used to being single and really what being single is you're getting used to being selfish Selfish. (laughs) because it's all about you you don't have to there's no one else so well i want to stay up late that's what i'm going to do i want to get up early that's what i'm going to do i want to go to the gym six hours a day or i want whatever you want to do guess what there's no you know you're an adult you know you can eat cookies in bed now that you know you can have dessert before dinner And that's what ends up happening a lot of times when people stay single for a long time prior to getting married. You have two people that are used to getting their own way. And then guess what happens when they get married? All of a sudden, you just threw someone else in the mix and they want their way as well. And I'll tell you this, you ask any pastor in the world why people get divorced, it all comes down to one reason. They won't grow up. That's it they both act like little kids. That's been the case. Every time I've counseled any married couple at the at the end of the first hour, I always say the same thing. Are either of you going to grow up? Because if not, we can stop this right now. It's not going to get any better. Right. You, you want your way. You want your way. Neither of you are willing to, to give up. Great. Okay. You, you just described my six and seven-year-old playing together. It's no different. So <clears throat> I see it as a bad thing. The whole idea of you know what was let, let me read this phrase uh living together is a good idea prior to marriage no it is not okay because when you're living together prior to marriage all you're looking for are red flags and reasons to give up on the thing okay you're not right. willing to sign the contract and here's okay i'm going to give you a crazy idea and i'm going to if if there are little kids present forgive me because this is going to be a little bit of an adult conversation but one of the ideas when we i'll take my headphones <clears> off. <throat> okay <laughs> When, when we talk about purity, okay, the idea that you are supposed to save yourself for your wife, you're supposed to save yourself for your husband, the idea is that uh, two people get married, the husband and the wife, they are both virgins, and when they get together and they consummate the marriage, they have no experience, they have no expectations, they have no knowledge of what's supposed to happen, and guess what? They figure it out, and it's beautiful because they both get to learn together, And the same thing happens on an emotional level with living with someone, with learning how to raise a family. If you have no experience, you have no expectations, and you come into the thing and you learn together. The more that you test drive other cars, guess what? Okay, have you... now? if you ever go to any car lot or they do this a lot for motorcycles, well they'll have a day. One of my friends is the Indian motorcycle dealer here in Grand Junction, Colorado, and he's telling me about a day they're going to have and and they're going to let you test drive all these different motorcycles, okay? So guess what? I go out there and I tr- I try out this new motorcycle and it's brand new and it's real big and shiny and I love all the features. Guess what's going to happen every time I go shopping for a motorcycle to get a used one because let's face it I can't buy a new one. What am I going to compare every other motorcycle too i'm going to compare it to that one great one that i got to test drive this one time and it was just perfect and everything about it was awesome and that is the ridiculous nonsensical idea that people are getting stuck in their head when they uh, uh, try to date as many people as possible, try to live with someone for as long as they can to figure it out and see if it's what they want to do. All they're doing is setting themselves up for failure because they're going to be comparing them, uh, that person to another girlfriend or an, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, an ex-wife or, or whatever the case. And, People don't like this idea the, the Bible says you have to find someone that you believe is in step with you and the ideas you have about God and you need to make a commitment. And guess what? You're stepping off a cliff, but you're doing it together. You don't know what's going right. to come. You don't know what's going to happen. That is part of the contract. You have to be willing to make that decision. And if you're not willing to do it, then you probably should be single because all you're going to do is you're going to drag down your wife. You're going to drag down whatever kids you have. And I'll tell this because really it comes to the guys. Here it is, guys. If you don't know where you're going, then any train will get you there. You need to know where you're going. You need to have a plan. You need to know what, what God's book says. You need to know what God's purpose is in your life. And that is something that a woman can get behind and fall in line with and support. Okay, and the problem is so many of these guys, they try to get into marriage and they're still little kids. They're not even grown up. And guess what? Yeah, it's going to end in divorce. You better jump in here because I'm starting to get riled right. up and it's not going to get
1: <laughs> Yeah, take your blood your high blood pressure medication there. Okay. I'll, I'll talk for a second here so yeah a, a couple of good points that you made there um, if you go If you go test drive twenty cars um, and you you try them out and you all right well i'll put it this way half, half, of, the, half of them when, you ha- when you're in that car you're going to say "This car is a piece of junk i don't like this car and you you go on to the next car later on i don 't know what it is people get nostalgic, especially if you um, especially if you owned the car for a a year or two or six months, and you rode around in it a little bit and had some good times in it, you might still think it's a piece of junk, you don't like it, you go on to something else, but you're gonna look back at that car and you're gonna have fond memories of it and whatever, it's gonna be the golden years or the absence makes the heart grow grow fonder, and you're gonna look back on it with fond memories, even though it had its faults. And the same thing happens if you spend, if if you waste five years of your life messing around with multiple different girlfriends, casually dating, trying to find the right person, there's one thing that we should be focusing on when we're single. And that, sh- that I mean, I, I, this, I'm not sure if this is a theological thing, but um, if you're actually, if you want to ever get married, you, you should be focusing on making yourself the best person you can be for that marriage if you want it to be successful, because you're the only thing that you're going to bring <clears> to that marriage. So rather than spending time messing around with multiple different dating relationships, either just go ahead and get married, or if you don't know who you're going to marry yet, if they haven't come along, then get ahead in life work hard, build a house, save up some money, and, and, and focus on that rather than trying to skirt around and find, find um, the best person for you. I just think that, that, that like you said, it's Hollywood nonsense. And I think that that is a very unhelpful thing. Pretty much any time that, that society gives you advice on anything that has to do with morality, I think you should pretty much wad it up and throw it in the trash. And go with God instead. So when they say it's a good idea to go ahead and live for a, together for a year or two, I would I would laugh in their face. It's a bad idea. So
0: yeah, I ahead. think. Well, two things. Number one, we have exactly uh, one minute and 20 seconds left before we're cut off because we only get a 60 minute video uh, through okay. our software here. <clears throat> OK, but I think Caleb's last point was a great one. Not only can you look at what the Bible says and try to form your life around it and do what it says and conform to the word of God. The other great thing you can do is you can just look at the world and see whatever they do and wholly reject all of it because it is nonsense. And anytime the whole world is for something, you don't even have to open the Bible. No, for sure, God is against it. Caleb, you have 50 seconds, go ahead and close us out.
1: All right, so yeah, obviously you look around, you see it's a failed experiment. Don't let that disillusion you with the fact that God set it up wrong or that it's not a good idea because it doesn't work out good when people mess it up. We had a couple other points that we didn't get to on the other part of that question. God said to, we should do it because that is a good idea. Maybe we'll get some of these on the next next episode. Uh, We'll be back live with you guys next Friday night. Have a good weekend and uh, come up with some questions and comments. Hop in with us next time.
0: Yeah. Please be sure to share this video because the only way Caleb and I draw our self-worth in any way is from how many times this video is shared and liked. So please get this word around uh, so we can try to grow this podcast. We appreciate every one of you, all 13 of you that are watching right now and uh, uh, pray for us. Have a good week. Thank you.